Lies, deceit, betrayal. But for we are the sacred and we are unforgiven. What is going down, Smackheads? I am, of course, the Maniac Matt Tennant, welcoming you to another edition of the Union Smack podcast. And if you're staring at the thumbnail, then you'll have already guessed that the Union Smack train has docked at its 21st station, Unforgiven. And we don't have too many more stops to visit, I believe. Six? There were 27 of the original In Your Houses. I'm not counting the NXT takeover In Your Houses because I don't consider them to be canon. So we won't be reviewing them. We'll just be staying with the original 27. So we should have finished what we started two years ago now by the end of summer. You've had three in your houses this month. You'll get two next month. And hopefully, depending on what I want to do in August, then we'll be able to see the summer out with the culmination of this very long journey. Like I said, it has been two years. Um, (laughs) But breaks didn't help. And we wanted to do other things. Otherwise, you'd get bored. But we're just going to steamroller on now until the, the end of the track. Get these done. And then we can start something else for you. More reviews from WCW. More reviews from other companies we've not even touched yet. I've got some WXW stuff in the works. Some Impact stuff in the works. That poll should have gone up by the time you hear this. If not, then keep checking the Twitter page, which will be along in a minute. But before we dive headfirst into the muck, then you know how this goes. Hop on Twitter Follow me at Bruisermate. Follow the show at Union Smack, where you'll find our new link tree for all the links to everywhere you can find us on every podcast platform you listen to. UnionSmack.BigCartel.com for all your Habiki TMD merchandise needs. ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash Rocky Buyer, where you can celebrate our five-year anniversary by purchasing our new logo shirt, and our Union Smack Revisited shirt, as well as our old logo shirt. They're all up there on Rocky's shop for you to purchase. And of course, lulu.com, where you can buy a copy of my books, The Undertaker, A Trip Down Death Valley, and NXT UK Year One. As usual, if you've missed any or all of that, then hop over to unionsmack.podbean.com where you can find all the links at the very top of the page. Just click them and they will take you to where you want or to where you need to be. So let's crack on, ladies and gentlemen. In Your House 21, Unforgiven, April the 26th, 1998, from the Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, North Carolina. And we have just come off of a historic WrestleMania 14, 29 days prior, where, of course, Stone Cold Steve Austin defeated Shawn Michaels to capture the WWF Championship, effectively retiring the Heartbreak Kid for four years. On that same event, The Undertaker also defeated Kane. Sable was nearing her split with Mark Moreau prior to WrestleMania. And, of course, Farouk was exiled from the Nation of Domination the night after. And this is all changed now. All changed for a new generation, a new era called Attitude. The video package to kick off In Your House 21 
is all about the Undertaker and Kane. You would almost forget we had a new WWF champion by watching this because this is all about the Undertaker and Kane Inferno match that is to come. Voiceover is dramatic with touches of Freddie Blassie in there, Bible verses. It hypes the Inferno match really well. And then Austin and Dude Love for the WWF Championship is almost an afterthought. It says that Vince McMahon has promised an event of catastrophic proportions at some point during the main event. Of course, Vince McMahon doing whatever he can to get the title off of Stone Cold Steve Austin. And it's going to be a running theme through the rest of these In Your House events. The first match to kick off In Your House 21 was a six-man tag team match. The Nation, formerly the Nation of Domination. The Rock, Mark Henry and D'Lo Brown versus Farouk, Ken Shamrock and the lethal weapon, Steve Blackman. Now, as I've mentioned, The Rock had kicked Farouk out of the Nation of Domination the night after WrestleMania 14 and took control of the group. However... If you go back and watch this, you'll notice that almost a month later, Farouk still hasn't changed his attire. He's still wearing the Nation of Domination gimmick and will continue to do so through In Your House 22 and beyond until, if memory serves me correctly, that ill-fated team with Scorpio, where it was just a mishmash of colours, like a child thrown paint at a wall. Now, the story here, obviously, is The Rock and Farouk, but it doesn't get played out that much until the very end. D'Lo Brown and Steve Blackman begin, and Steve Blackman pops up from a shoulder block, but always look ropey as a wrestler for me. Blackman tries his martial arts, but D'Lo Brown hits a snap suplex. Then Ken Shamrock is in to a huge ovation. Nice ankle trap roll through, but D'Lo Brown grabs the ropes to break. Farouk shows some hesitancy fighting D'Lo Brown, but eventually they get into it. Spinebuster whips him with a belt like a naughty child to teach him a lesson. Like, I brought you into this group. I can take you out of it, even though I'm not leader anymore. There's a Steve Blackman dodgy-looking suplex. And then The Rock is the star of this match. Of course he is. It's still a young Rock. They're still calling him The Rock, Rocky Maivia. And as leader... Of this nation, he is stood on the apron, hilariously directing traffic. He doesn't want to get in just yet. He wants Henry and D'Lo Brown to do the work, but he's directing traffic. His hand movements are hilarious. The look on his face is just brilliant and very much the star of an ordinary six-man tag team match. Now, Mark Henry's in. Dominates Steve Blackman, but it looks dreadful. Mark Henry's offence didn't change in 20 years. And watching him here in 1998, there's, there's very, very little difference to watching a Mark Henry 2006 match or a Mark Henry 2010 match. Not good. Not good at all. D'Lo Brown hits a lovely sky high on the lethal weapon for a near fall. And already it's getting repetitive. Move for move's sake, you, you know how it goes. The Rock versus Farouk should have been teased for longer. They, they do clash, I'd say about three or four minutes into this match. 
the book bookers should have saved it for longer to let Farouk get his revenge better, but it's rushed. It doesn't feel as hot as it should do because they just haven't built it properly. Mark Henry elbow trio on Farouk, and the faces try to take Mark Henry down, but it doesn't work. Duh. This has no structure to it. The actual story isn't told properly, like I said, because they have 13 minutes to fill. Now, had they had eight minutes, this would have been a more well-rounded, a better put-together, told match, and they could have weaved the Rock and Farouk in and out of this. But as it is, they gave them 13 minutes, when there wasn't 13 minutes of action in any of the six men. So that was an oversight. Rock is in this way too much. That's not a complaint you'll hear often, but the Rock is in the match way too much. Should have been portrayed as the cowardly heel leader who refused to get in before finally getting some sort of comeuppance at the hands of Farouk. Too many rest holds. D'Lo Brown misses a moonsault on Steve Blackman. Farouk knocks about the nation. The Rock hits a DDT as everyone brawls and then he misses a clothesline. And this is where I I don't remember this ending. Okay, I, I've seen this event several times. It doesn't get any better with repetitive viewing. But I, I just don't remember this from a, as a child. Farouk hits the Dominator on the rock and pins him for the win. Farouk pins the Intercontinental Champion in a six-man tag team match to earn a shot at the title at In Your House 22. Now, this is the right result. The heel... He should have lost. Babyface should have won. But it was the wrong execution. The Rock should have been protected as leader and champion. And the stipulation should have been changed if Farouk pinned any of the Nation of Domination members. Then he gets a shot at The Rock. D'Lo Brown could have been the full guy because you wouldn't have believed that he'd have pinned Mark Henry. And everything would have been nice and set up for In Your House 22 with The Rock dodging and diving and ducking Farouk on TV until they got there. But it's not what they did, unfortunately. And Farouk versus The Rock at In Your House 22, which is coming your way in two weeks' time, it just suffers because story not told properly. Now, after the match, Michael Cole is out to interview Farouk. He thanks his team and says that this is going to be a long war against his former nation. Next up, Stone Cold Steve Austin is out to a huge reception and he goes straight to the timekeeper. He drags him into the ring, chastises him for ringing the bell on Raw when Vince told him to and says that if Vince screws him, he will drag the timekeeper up and down every one of the aisles he dragged Vince up. And then he threatens to hurt the timekeeper if he screws him. The insults are amusing. And it adds an element of drama to the main event. But I don't know. It, it was a little bit long. If Austin had just come out, took the microphone and done all this at ringside. Obviously you could have aired it on the big screen so everyone could have seen then it would have felt less like an interview segment and just more like an off-the-cuff, I-will-kick-your-ass-if-you-screw-me type of thing. But it did a job, hyped the main event, built drama for the main event, and that's what people were here to see in reality. We get a highlight package of Owen Hart versus Triple H at WrestleMania 14. It included China blinding Sergeant Slaughter, 
hitting a low blow to Owen and costing him the European Championship in a match I thought was very, very below par for the two men that were in it. Now, the WrestleMania 14 archive review is up on every channel. doesn't matter where you're listening to this. You'll be able to find it. Just drop down the list. It was a good few weeks ago around WrestleMania season. So start searching April, end of end of March, April time, and you'll find it there. You'll find mine and Travis's opinions on the match. As far as I remember, I don't I don't think Travis disliked it as much as I did, but I, I thought it could have been much, much better. So, with that being said, they had the chance to rectify this with a rematch for the European Championship. Champion Triple H versus challenger Owen Hart. And the stipulation here, China will be suspended in a shark cage above the ring. Now, it's not actually above the ring. It's above the aisle. You'll see why when we get to the end of the bout. But so she supposedly can't interfere. As you'll already guessed, it doesn't go to plan. Now, Triple H has taken control of Degeneration X in Shawn Michaels' absence and bought in X-Pac, the former 123 kid, Sean Waltman. Now, Sergeant Slaughter takes great pleasure in coming down here with a steel chain. He orders China into the shark cage. She does get in, hesitantly, with a little coaxing from Triple H, Owen Hart on the outside, pointing to the cage to where she needs to be. They do argue with Slaughter at ringside, but eventually we get China locked in the cage. And as they're doing so, Owen Hart spots an opportunity and attacks from behind. The pair fight up the aisle. Owen rams Hunter into the equipment case, hits him with a can, like a beer can, not a trash can. Just grabs a beer can from someone in the audience and smashes him over the head with it. And then rams him into China's cage and a suplex in the aisle. All a very good start. The match officially begins as the cage is hoisted up above the aisle. And Owen Hart just sends Triple H flying over the top rope of the clothesline and then beats him further around the ring. All good so far. Triple H reverses a 10-punch, drops Owen Hart face first on the turnbuckle, then a high knee on the crisscross, and it starts to become slow and methodical with the champion in charge, which isn't a good thing. Because in 1998, and I know Triple H stands all chastise me for this and you know lose their shit etc but triple h still wasn't the ring general many profess he he had become in the 2000s 2001 etc going onwards and onwards he still struggled to control the match there was still a lot of the hunter hurst helmsley way of wrestling in him even though he was a degenerate now and you know he, he'd sort of broke that character but the way he used to do things in 96 and early 97, they were still there. And it's on display here because the match wasn't exciting or at all good in quality when he was in charge. Now, he does put a dragon sleeper on Owen and that looked good at least. So cannot complain about that. And then the camera starts to falter. It starts to come away from the match and it's more about China. She takes a file from her boot, tries to file the bars down like she's in fucking prison, and then drops the file 
down onto the outside of the ring and begins to try and bend the bars like the Incredible Hulk. And it's like, even if you did, what's the best that you hope would happen? Well, funny you should say that, because you're going to find out the answer very, very shortly. The camera goes back to the match, and Owen Hart takes the Brett chest bump into the corner. Looked great, sold it as well as his brother ever did. He missed a shoulder block into the post, and then we get a bigger dragon suplex, which slows down a match that is already starting to plod a little bit. Thankfully, when it does get going again, Owen reverses a reverse suplex into a German suplex, and then back up to China, and she has got the bars, clearly rigged bars, and she is bending them to make a hole in the middle for herself, like she's like it's a cartoon. Like just someone breaking out of prison by pulling the bars apart. Ah, oh, dear me. Owen Hart, belly to belly, spinning heel kick, flying elbow, and then we see China is out of the cage. She's hanging onto the outside like a monkey. And then she just drops. She drops, so she's still holding onto the bottom. Her legs are dangling. <laughs> it is a little bit absurd, but it is what it is. Hart reverses a powerbomb into a DDT, sharpshooter, and then the cage begins to lower, and the camera cuts to the controls, and it's Road Dog lowering the cage. China is able to land safely up on the apron. Referee distracted, of course, and as Owen Hart catapults Triple H into the post, goes for a pedigree, but X-Pac is in. Hits Owen Hart with a fire extinguisher, allowing Triple H to count to cover, I should say, one, two, three. Now, this wasn't much better than their WrestleMania match. And it was, in all fairness, lessened by just the countless distractions and camera cuts. It went from the match to China for a good portion, then cut back to the match and cut back to Road Dog, and then we had X-Pac coming in as well, plus a referee distraction. It was too cluttered. There should have been a better way to do this. Maybe maybe China cheats from the cage, throws Helmsley something. You could have probably kept the X-Pac interference because obviously you want to build him up as a strong European, in, European championship contender, etc., but there had to be a better, less cluttered way of doing this. Because without all that, this would have been a really good match. Michael Cole appears again with Owen Hart. And Owen says, enough is enough. And this bullshit needs to change. And it would change. But unfortunately for Owen Hart, it wouldn't change for the better. Because if you remember, and obviously more on this in two weeks when we get to Win Your House 22... But Owen Hart would join the Nation of Domination. Uh, yes, you heard me right. He would turn heel on Ken Shamrock. Would eventually get his comeuppance and his revenge on Triple H. But co-captaining the Nation with The Rock wasn't his finest moment in the WWF. Still better than the Blue Blazer because we know how that ended. But, you know, still not great. Jim Cornette is out and he calls the people in Greensboro the ugliest bunch he's ever seen and says they still think the Rock and Roll Express are the greatest, but they're going to spoil Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson's homecoming, 
Now, they obviously means the new Midnight Express. Because since we revisited In Your House last week, obviously there's a month between them in, in reality. But you'll remember Jeff Jarrett versus Bradshaw for the NWA North American Championship last week at In Your House 20. Well, the Rock and Roll Express were a part of the NWA. Of course they were. They were NWA Tag Team Champions, but excommunicated from the group. And the NWA faction had changed drastically in just a few weeks. But they lost the NWA World Tag Team Championships to the Headbangers, kicked out of the group, replaced by Bombastic Bob, who was obviously Bob Holly, and Bodacious Bart, who was Bart Gunn, the new Midnight Express. And that, they weren't the only changes. Jeff Jarrett had left and gone back to becoming Double J. And the NWA faction had just died a horrible, horrible death. The crowd didn't care. The booking committee didn't care. Jim Cornette didn't care. Just listen to his podcast. It was doomed to fail from the very, very beginning. But this match is for the NWA Tag Team Championship. Champions, the new Midnight Express, defending against former champions, the Rock and Roll Express. And the new Midnight Express, the most generic entrance theme you have ever heard in your life. Rock and Roll Express, they get the Rocker's old theme. And <laughs> Nasty Boys inspire jackets. You have to see it if you don't know what I mean. Now, this match wasn't the longest. I think it clocked in around seven-ish minutes. But it was good. It, it was good for what it was. The... Oh, dear. So, Robert Gibson knocked out Bob Holly with a shoulder block. Arm drag, fireman's carry, nice double-team leg roll. The Rock and Roll Express still had it. Unfortunately, Holly and Gunn never really got it. Still, it is what it is, right? Holly misses a, a punch on Ricky Morton, hits Bart by mistake. There's a nice double team that sends the pair crashing into each other, and then the dissension in the ranks begins. They argue, but Jim Cornette manages to settle them down, and the new Midnight Express take control. Bart Gunn, I'm not going to call him Bodacious Bart, and I'm not going to call Holly Bombastic Bob. They're going to be Gunn and Holly. So Bart Gunn with a <laughs> bombastic barbe, eh? Jesus. So Bart Gunn with an I can't say it with an abdominal stretch, assisted by Holly. Jim Cornette he, he sees how the match is going to go, gets in to challenge the ref. The late Tim White, who passed away two weeks ago, he's up for a fight, and the two sort of dance around the ring. Tim White scares Jim Cornette away with some, some boxing stuff. And then Jim Ross comments that Jim Cornette will have an asthma attack. It's very, very good. The commentary, I should say, is very good. Jim Cornette played his part admirably. And then Cornette trips Ricky Morton. Billy Gunn with a high knee to the back sends him outside. And then the new Midnight Express hits a lovely drop-toe-hold elbow-drop combo. But the fans don't care. You see, the action, it, it's not bad. You know, it, it, it's not as bad as we've seen so far on this show. They they do an admirable job of keeping this going. But the fans don't care. 
This plays to library silence. That they don't. I'm not sure whether it's the fact that fans in 1998 who weren't fans in the 80s don't get the Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express rivalry. I think the WWF were hoping that they they could recapture that magic with a new version of the Midnight Express and people would be enticed by the history. But it just didn't work. Fell flat on its ass on all fronts. Bob Holly missed the Alabama Jam, which he didn't do half as good as the late Bobby Eaton. Allowed Ricky, allowed Robert Gibson, I should say, to tag in. And rock and roll, double drop kick to Bart Gunn. Referee's distracted. Jim Cornette is in, but he misses an elbow drop and hits Bart Gunn. Now we descend into the comical. But Robert Gibson rolls up Gunn from behind and Bob Holly comes in. Bulldog behind the referee's back for the victory. Like I said, fine, nothing special, not a patch on the original Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express rivalry. Hands down the greatest tag team feud in the history of this business. If you've never seen any of their matches, then you, you, you could pick any. You could pick any one of their matches to go to and it would be great. But not this. If you have, if you're going to put yourself through this pay per view, then watch the match. You won't be disappointed, but don't expect brilliantness, greatness. Don't expect grandeur. Expect a television match from a team that was just thrown together with no real clue of what made the original special, and an aging team that still hold up their end of the bargain, but. I've lost a step, let's say. Oh, dear. And I'm afraid it doesn't get any better from here. Because next up, we go backstage to Doc Hendricks, who is with Luna Vachon and the artist formerly known as Goldust. And this is dreadful. This is dreadful. What's coming is dreadful. So brace yourselves. Luna Vachon, who is next up in an evening gown match with Sable, says so she's here to strip every piece of clothing from Sable, which, of course, gets a huge cheer from the Greensboro faithful. And like I said, evening gown match, Sable versus Luna Vachon. You can already tell what this is going to be. Huge reception for Sable, of course. She was on fire during the Attitude Era. And the rules of this match, and I don't have many notes for this match because there really wasn't anything to it, was the first wrestler to strip their opponent wins. That was basically it. Lawler goes full pervert on commentary. Of course he does. Puppies are coming out. But as for the match itself, it's two and a half minutes. They scrap. Clothes come off. There's some moves by Luna who does try, but very few. And there's just huge cheers when Sable's clothes come off. That's it. That is it. The only thing of note here is that Mark Moreau comes out to distract Sable, allowing Luna to rip off her top for the win. Yes, they booked Sable to lose this, which is good because fans would have turned on her had she got the the, the John Cena treatment years later. But... To send the fans home happy, Sable hits a Sable bomb to Luna afterwards and strips her. Fans don't quite find that as appealing. And then the pair tussle under the ring and Sable comes out with Luna's bra 
and panties. Diabolical. Like I said, two and a half minutes, but just awful. Like you, you could have found something better than this. And I know Sable wasn't yet trained properly as a professional wrestler. And there are stories where she just refused to take bumps when she was, saying she didn't have to, thinking she was you know, the bee's knees, etc., etc. But this would have benefited, even if it had only still been two and a half minutes, this would have benefited from an actual wrestling match. <laughs> oh, God. Don't put yourself through this. Really, do not. It is not worth you wasting your life. I do these things so you don't have to. Vince McMahon comes out to the ring with Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson and promises and reiterates that something catastrophic will occur during the main event of the evening. He then goes on to say that there is a conspiracy theory going around that he will screw Stone Cold and says the real reason he's here is that he's a native to North Carolina and the theory is beneath his dignity, but he won't give it a response. He also won't be held responsible if Stone Cold, in his words, screws Stone Cold. WWF Tag Team Championship Action. Champions, the New Age Outlaws versus LOD 2000. And in just a couple of in-your-houses, LOD have transformed themselves. New gimmick, same look. Unfortunately, not for the better. And this is just a rematch of the Dross from In Your House 19. And if you don't remember that, it's up on the channel now. Takamichinuku on the, the thumb. The New Age Outlaws versus the Legion of Doom two In Your Houses ago was just dismal. It was really, really bad. And unfortunately, this isn't any better. Hawk looks dreadful. Definitely not the man he was. And I know they were going for the whole draws, outing, hawks, demons, etc. Getting him excommunicated from the Legion of Doom, taking his place and all, all that storyline. But Hawk looked just out of shape, out of condition. He looked like he was on something from beginning to end, which of course he most probably was. We all know hawks, demons. <sighs> Billy Gunn, and I, I, I sigh because I have to watch this and review it. Luckily, you only have to watch it. You don't, have to, you don't even have to admit you watched this afterwards, but here we go. Billy Gunn, the animal, start. Animal uses his power to knock him down, hard clothesline, reverses a double team, and rams the outlaws into the canvas head first. Promising start. It's all go. Anil hits a power slam to the road dog who scampers to his corner for safety. And then Hawk comes in. And this is where it all went wrong. He tries to pick up Billy Gunn, but he drops him clumsily. The commentary tried to cover it up, uh, saying because it's of sweat. But unless, you know, unless the sweat is filled with cocaine and every other pill in the locker room, then it wasn't sweat at all. The Outlaws just sell and sell and sell for, for LOD, but it doesn't work. Animal and Hook look dreadful. They go for the Doomsday device on Road Dog, but Billy Gunn clips Animal's knee, and JR calls it the Devastation device. Now, to my memory, I don't recall them renaming it that. It was always the Doomsday device, but obviously 
my memory may be wrong. The Outlaws double team Animal work over his leg and then Billy Gunn hits the Famous up for a near fall. Now the Famous are not called the Famous yet. It is still the Rocker Dropper, according to Jim Ross, would become the Famouser. Hawk is in again, over the top rope, kicks Road Dog with one foot. That, that's not bad, actually. I'm surprised Hawk didn't fall flat on his face. But he, he springboards in and his training foot kicks Road Dog in the chest. Makes it look like he meant to do it as well. Splash on Road Dog, but Billy Gunn hits him with the championship. And then Road Dog goes to hit Hawk with the title. Misses, hits Billy Gunn. Hawk with a lovely German suplex. And this is where it goes even more to shit than it already was. They land off the German. Both men's shoulders are down. But the referee is only counting Hawk's, I think it is. From the replay, he's only looking at Hawk's shoulders, which is dumb. Because it's Hawk executing the move. So you'd be looking at both men's shoulders to make sure they're not both down. Match is awarded to the New Age Outlaws, but not explained to the audience for a while. So everyone's just sat there with plain faces, not knowing what's going on. Legion of Doom beat up the referee, Doomsday Device, bad end to another mediocre match. You would have thought by now that WWF would have got the message. Legion of Doom have lost a step. They've lost what made them special. It's not there anymore. It's not working anymore. And making them change their attire, putting Hawking, uh, putting Animal, I should say, in shorts, spray-painting the, the spikes and the shoulder pads silver and giving them sunny in a sexy dress, just plastering over a crack. And the cracks began to show here. Are you ready for some light entertainment after all that, ladies and gentlemen? Because Jeff Jarrett is up to sing with the band Sawyer Brown. And thank God he went back to Double J. The NWA Jeff Jarrett was going nowhere fast. The match against The Undertaker, terrible. The match against Bradshaw, just about held up. Neither meant anything. Everybody cared about... Oh, well, I'm not going to say everybody, but they cared more about... Double J with the Tennessee swing and entrance music and the light up hat a hundred times more than they did NWA Jeff Jarrett. So, and you know, it's hard to tell here if Jeff Jarrett is singing because it sounds like him, but then with my baby tonight sounded a bit like him before you knew it was the road dog singing it. Either way, this goes way too long, and I'm sure the song they sang. I don't know the name of it. I'm sure it is known in the USA, but it's not here. I've never heard of it in my entire life. And I'm sure if I showed it to 100 Brits, they would say, not a clue, son. But this goes almost five minutes. Jarrett takes the mic at the end. Eni greets. And then Steve Blackman attacks him from behind, locks him in a submission move. But Tennessee Lee, who is, of course, Robert Fuller, Hits Blackman with a guitar and Jeff Jarrett puts the figure four on Steve Blackman to chance of We Want Flair. Now, obviously, they can't leave that unattended in a broadcast. So Jerry Lawler passes it off as encore. <laughs> you know, because they, they sound the same. 
Jesus. Then we cut back to commentary. Where were these shows going in 1998? And Jerry Lawler has marshmallows on a stick because the Inferno match is coming up next. <sighs> See, it's amusing after watching it because saying it out loud makes you realise just how ridiculous some of this stuff actually was. We get a video package. Again, if you can hear rustling in the background, apologies, they are my notes. We get a video package for The Undertaker versus Kane, which goes all the way back to Hell in a Cell 1997 and takes in their WrestleMania 14 match. This has all been well documented, okay? And if you want to know more, then read my book for all the ins and outs, available at lulu.com, cheap plug. Mick Foley would be proud. Inferno match, The Undertaker versus Kane. And the first person to set their opponent on fire wins. It is that simple. Now, let's, let's not forget, this is a rematch from WrestleMania 14 when The Undertaker defeated Kane. It took him three tombstones to do it, but he slayed the beast. And now we are on a B-level pay-per-view. Bear that in mind. A B-level pay-per-view with one of the hottest feuds in WWF in years. Now, like I say, the problem with this is that they'd saved the first match for months. Like five, six months until WrestleMania and it was a draw. People wanted to see if The Undertaker could defeat Kane. Now, yes, Kane and The Undertaker had touched before WrestleMania... The Hell in the Cell when Kane cost his brother the uh, the opportunity to go to Survivor Series to fight Bret Hart for the WWF Championship. Raw Rumble when Kane set the Undertaker's coffin on fire. And there had been choke slams, etc. You know, before WrestleMania. But the main point was they'd not fought. The Undertaker had refused to fight back until it got to the point where he had to stand up for himself and teach him a lesson. But now, 29 days removed from WrestleMania, and they're just throwing this onto a B-level event after spending six months building up a huge draw. So you can see where it went wrong. It was almost as if they went, look, we have to string this out until WrestleMania for the draw to make it special. And then after WrestleMania, it was like, well, we need something to fill this card. Just throw it on again. doesn't matter. And that, I think, is where they went wrong. Had they swapped everything around and built it from WrestleMania to SummerSlam with a slightly shorter span in between, then this might have been a better draw, even though the match was always destined to be terrible because of the limitations put on it. So, the fire and the lighting make this stand out. But the problem I've always had is that it looked too safe. You didn't really believe that The Undertaker's hair was going to catch fire if he hit the ropes. Or, if Kane leant too far over, then maybe his hand would catch on fire. It was all controlled. And obviously, Vince McMahon couldn't just risk it in 1998 and hope nobody burnt to death. But I'd have liked to have seen it done less, obviously than this now undertaker hits old school and the flames jump up over the top rope it's a nice visual first time round. by the 10th time 
loses its thrill. Kane tries to burn The Undertaker's face in the fire, but it becomes obvious that the explosions on the moves are controlled from somewhere. Like I said, they're not just letting them leap out of control every time someone hits the mat. That would be absolutely insane. Paul Bearer slides a, a chair in for Kane, which he uses, and The Undertaker must be staring at that chair for 10 seconds and doesn't get his hands up, just lets Kane wrap it around his head. Very punch kick because of the limitations of the match. They can't do much. They can barely go into the ropes. They can barely go outside. They can't make this interesting by doing what they'd usually do. So basically, you get a punch kick contest, and that's the best they can really do, unfortunately. And I say unfortunately because had this not been con that controlled, had they allowed them room somewhere to get in and out of the ring, then this could have been really good. This could have topped their WrestleMania match. But there was just, there was no time really to plan this. That is my cat eating his food. Apologies if you can hear the tinkling. But like I say, no time to plan this out really. It was very much, we need fire. We need a, a 12, 13 minute match. We'll just have to make do. Undertaker tries for a flying clothesline but thinks better of it because he can't land. Turns it into a kick. Leg drop. They try to choke slam each other but Kane gets the best of it. And then the Undertaker comes back with a choke slam of his own. But Kane sits up. Double boot put both men down. And then the Undertaker finally goes for his flying clothesline. But on landing he rolls into the flames. And he did touch. If you watch it back he did touch the flames. He had a little flap around. I don't know whether anything was on fire. I've never heard it was. But he, he clearly touched something because his reactions were too quick to, to just be laying there. Undertaker hits a superplex from the second rope, which took ages for Kane to get into position. He could have done it three times over to any normal opponent in the time it took Kane to climb to the top rope. He sends Kane over the top. Kane walks away. And every time The Undertaker tries to go out, the flames leap up to stop him. That was a nice touch, almost as if Kane was somehow controlling the fire. And then, out of nowhere, Vader returns, attacks Kane, gaining revenge from the wrench shot at In Your House. Undertaker flies over the top onto both men. And then Paul Bearer hits The Undertaker with a chair. But the Undertaker takes the chair, hits Kane. Kane goes down like a sack of spuds. And you can see his arm go under the ring. If you look closely, while the Undertaker is stood next to him, Kane is reaching his, I think it's his right arm, underneath the ring. And that is, of course, so he can get on the fire retardant sleeve. But to distract, the Undertaker chases Paul Bearer to the stage posts the drum over his head, beats him up with the, the equipment, and by the time he gets back down to ringside, Kane has got the glove and the sleeve on. Undertaker kicks him into the fire. His arm catches fire, and Kane staggers up the aisle. Undertaker wins. And if you look closely, when Kane's arm catches a light, you'll be able to see, up to the point where the fire stops, his whole arm is covered in a special sleeve. It was well covered up, I suppose. They didn't show it greatly on camera. Kane sort of hid it 
when the action continued for 30 seconds. So that was very well done. Uh, the match, not great. Disappointing ending. WrestleMania 14 will always top this. 100, 100% because they just couldn't do much at all. We get a video package for Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Dude Love in the main event. And Vince McMahon doing everything in his power to stop Austin becoming WWF champion. And it was a different and magical time in storytelling in 1998. People wanted to see every little bit of this. The Austin McMahon feud went for nearly three years. From 97 to the end of 99 and then again a little bit when Austin came back in 2000 and into WrestleMania 21 where it really ended when Austin aligned himself with, with McMahon. But they were able to carry this on for three years and people didn't get bored. Unlike today when you've got Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar every fucking where and nobody wants to see it. This takes in Dude Love turning on Austin, not releasing the Mandible Claw, and then it's announced that Vince McMahon will be at ringside, but only during some of this bout. The main event of In Your House 21 Unforgiven. Stone Cold Steve Austin defending the WWF Championship against Dude Love. And Austin's reaction is the most this crowd has cared all night. They have waited and waited and waited, and they cared about absolutely nothing else other than seeing Stone Cold Steve Austin. But Dude Love attacks from behind. Austin gets the better of him. Luthes press, and JR takes a shot at Eric Bischoff for saying that Austin would never be a main event star or a money draw. Austin hits a spine buster, flips the bird elbow, and he is on fire at the beginning of this match. They fight up the aisle, onto the soundstage where Jeff Jarrett sang. Austin throws Mick Foley off and Foley lands hard. He's got no regard for his body, though we know that. Mick Foley never had any regard for his body or for his own safety. And Mick Foley lands with a definitive third on the concrete. It's quite sickening. If you, if you rewind it back when you watch this, because I'm sure you'll watch this match if you watch, don't watch any others then Mick Foley, you can hear him connect with the concrete. It is quite sickening. Austin just dominates this for ages. And while it, it's rousing the crowd, there is no actual drama until Dude Love grabs the advantage by avoiding a rope charge. It's always when the heel is in control of the baby face and the baby face looks like he's going to lose. That's where the drama comes from. Not 15, 20 minutes of the baby face just kicking the shit. Out of the heel. So Dude Love chokes Austin in the corner. Knees, punches and down comes Vince, Patterson and Briscoe. Dude Love tries the million dollar dream. Every Austin comeback gets a huge pop from the crowd. Austin flips off Vince McMahon. He's rolled up by Dude Love for a near fall. And McMahon's face is a great picture throughout. When Dude Love's in control, he's relishing it. When Austin's in control, he's seething. Say what you will about Vincent McMahon, his booking, <laughs> the accusations that have come out against him recently, but he was always a great on-screen character. Absolutely every time. 
Austin works over Dude Love's leg, but Mick Foley reverses a pile driver on the aisle into a backdrop. Vince taunts Austin verbally, leads him up the aisle where Dude Love attacks him from behind again, and then Dude Love gets Austin in an abdominal stretch, and Vince McMahon orders the timekeeper to ring the bell to award Dude Love the WWF Championship. But the timekeeper hesitates, Austin breaks free, hits a lovely suplex on the outside, where Mick Foley's legs connect hard with the steel steps. How he didn't break his kneecaps or rip his calf muscles or tendons is absolutely beyond me. There is a little fight into the crowd, and it's at this moment in the match. There are moments of it throughout this In Your House, throughout In Your House 22, and throughout the last In Your House, In Your House 20, where WWF clearly had a problem with wrestling being called fake, because Jim Ross goes in hard on commentary about, oh, they'll say, how did he break this fall? And the idiots will say, how did he break that? You know, it just, it gets a little much at the time. And I understand that in 1998, it was just starting to be realised by people, people who were paying good money, that wrestling was predetermined and that wrestlers could break their fall. But to have Jim Ross come out and go, and they won't believe how hard he fell. They'll say, oh, he must have broke his fall somehow. It gets a little old and a bit cringy as well. Austin counters the sweet shin music. Dude Love misses a clothesline, hits the referee, and everything goes to shit. Stunner into the mandible claw is a great sequence. Vincent McMahon tries to revive the referee. He wrestles a chair from Austin. Austin counters a Dude Love charge with the chair. And then Austin picks up the chair, swings for the fences, clearly aiming for Vince McMahon, connects and knocks out the chairman. Great, great few minutes. Match returns to the ring. Stone Cold Stunner, no referee, but Austin counts his own fall. His music plays and he walks away with the WWF Championship. It's a questionable ending, saying wrestlers can count their own falls. But it was a good match. It was the best match on this card. And the only problem I've got, obviously, is this cast a tiny bit of a shadow over Steve Austin's championship reign, the beginning of it and where it was going. Because going into WrestleMania, they had put so much of the machine behind Austin being the man defying Vince McMahon, defying DX, doing whatever it took to gain the WWF Championship. And then coming out of WrestleMania, the ending to his pay-per-view matches, the matches that mattered most, because the most people would see them, the endings were booked very questionably. This should have been a clear, definitive, decisive ending. A... Uh, uh, a referee counting three or Mick Foley submitting. It didn't happen because they would go again over the edge in your house 22. So there had to be an out and away into that. But again, could have done it better. It just, it was a, a questionable beginning to his title reign and over the edge wasn't much better. 
And then at King of the Ring, he'd lose the title to Kane in the first blood match and win it back the night after and enter a program with Kane and The Undertaker going into SummerSlam, which, again, just the booking of Stone Cold's title reigns from WrestleMania through SummerSlam. Just baffling. Just baffling how it went from strong and indomitable to we're in a position we can't get out of anything we'll literally do. It's announced after the match that Steve Austin has been disqualified for hitting an official, i.e. Vince McMahon, and Dude Love wins by disqualification, necessitating a rematch. There's the out for counting his own pinfall, but it still looked absurd, really, and it still sent the message that this champion thought he could do anything, which fans loved, and that's what got the Austin character over with. But the DQ should have been more prominent before even Austin tried to count his own pinfall. Maybe hitting Vince McMahon with the chair in front of the referee and then the referee having to DQ Austin. But still, losing your first major championship defence by DQ still isn't a great look. Anyway, anyway you think about it. They take an absolute age to strap Vince McMahon to the stretcher and get him out. And that is how In Your House 21 Unforgiven ends. Was it spectacular? Absolutely not. Was it a one-match card? Arguably. Like I say, Triple H versus Owen Hart wasn't great, but would have been quite good without all the distractions. The Inferno match is what people co-paid to see as well as the the main event but it didn't deliver if you don't mind the quality of this card then you'll quite enjoy yourself but if you're looking for great matches only the main event lives up to the hype the inferno match you have to see it to believe it so that's probably a draw for people but for me this gets c minus and that's being generous, I think. It, the only thing stopping it getting a D is is the main event, which, of course, is story-driven, dramatic, and leads us into In Your House 22 Over the Edge in two weeks' time. All that's left for me to say, ladies and gentlemen, once again, thank you so much for joining me. We are at the end of June now, so next week, the first week of July, NXT UK omnibus review for June. The the burning down of Mustache Mountain. It's finally here. It's finally upon us. Trent Seven has turned on Tyler Bate, and now a blood war is in our future. One man will inevitably end up leaving NXT UK. I'm sure it'll be Tyler Bate. But join me next week for that. And then week after, In Your House 22. The week after that, In Your House 23. Because we're going to get through and we're going to get to the end together. And then the last week of July, SummerSlam week. I'm going to take the week off. But we will have SummerSlam 1992 archive retro review. You don't want to miss that. It's one of the finest reviews I think me and Travis ever did. 
And I think it was the only the third review and the third episode we we did back in 2017. So go back. You'll be able to go back. You'll be able to listen to how rough we were. But it's one of my favourite reviews. I know it was one of Travis's as well. So that is all coming for you in July. But before I sign off, as usual, you can find me on Twitter at Bruisermate. Follow the show on Twitter at Union Smack, where you'll find our new link tree for all the links to everywhere you can find us. UnionSmack.BigCartel.com for all your Hibiki TMD merchandise needs. And ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash Rocky Buyer, where you can celebrate five years of the Union Smack podcast by purchasing our new logo shirt and our Union Smack revisited shirt, all dreamt up by the brilliant Rocky Buyer. And of course, hop over to Lulu.com, where you can spend the remainder of your money on copies of my books, The Undertaker, Trip Down Death Valley, and NXT UK Year One. You have been fantastic. I will see you next week with NXT UK for June 2022. Until then, stay cool, stay safe. Cheerio, mate.